Invitations can change your life. How you respond to an invitation can change the course of your life. Welcome to Heart Talk with me, Dr. Charles Lee. Uh, you know, as doctors, we always come to work in the morning hoping for the best that we can give our best. And yes. uh, when you're faced with a situation where you feel helpless because the disease has taken over control and uh, you and I are only guided by science, you know, um, it's not about figures that we see every day in the newspapers, in the media. Every, it's all about percentages and how many are getting this and how many are positive. You cannot run away from the figure of death, isn't it? Because that is the mark of whether we're doing well or we're getting better or we're just at status quo. Now, you know, Tim, um, when we look at all these figures, Tim, I mean, you are frontline. You got your finger on the pulse of a COVID patient. I mean, I myself, you know, we don't see COVID <laughs> patients, but we're always conscious, right, Tim, where we are. When we get a message, I got a message just, what, two weeks ago from a colleague of mine and whom I've known for the last 10 years. And the message is, doctor, I just lost my dad to COVID. And then suddenly it becomes very real that death can happen to me. It can happen to anyone uh, that we are facing with. And so tell me something in your experience as an infectious disease expert over the years how do you put covid against all the other diseases that you have been uh, treating okay now uh, let's just compare with uh, infectious disease that we are very well aware of but it's dengue fever sure. now in dengue right. fever in the worst year in the worst year in malaysia we lost mm -hmm. 300 patients that is considered the worst in one year I think it was about four or five yeah. years where we had a dengue outbreak where right. 300 people died of dengue in the country. 300. Right. Now in COVID right. alone, COVID alone since March of last year till this year, that's about 15 months, more than 4,000 Malaysians have died of COVID. Now right. in dengue fever, you have uh, one person in the family dying. In COVID, you have the husband and the wife dying, sometimes a child. The entire family, half the family dies. So mm. you, you just compare. We always think of dengue as being the, one of the worst uh, diseases that we have. You're also fearful. 300 on the worst year. In COVID, we have more than 10 times the number of people dying of an infectious disease. Of course, may, may, uh, people die of all sorts of reasons, but I'm talking about infectious diseases. Sure. Where infectious diseases are different from others. Infectious diseases is people start out being well. You know, you're well, you get infected, and within right. two or three weeks, you're dead. So it's very different. Um, now, since we are in Sabah, let's talk about another infectious disease, malaria. You know, the highest right. number of malaria cases in Sabah was around 1995, where we had around about 50 over 1,000 people with malaria. 1995, now, okay. 1995, 50,000 people had malaria. And even mm -hmm. then, at that height, we hardly had more than 50 to 100 people dying. I think even less, mm -hmm. actually. Malaria, malaria disease that all of us are familiar with here in Sabah. Sure. COVID alone in Sabah in March of last year, we had 66,730 cases in one year alone with 510 deaths, Charles, mm -hmm. in one year. Yes. You see, in one year, in a bad year of malaria, a malaria, a bad year would give you about at the most 10 deaths, and that will be discussed. COVID, we already have nearly half a thousand, 500 people dying. So yeah. this disease uh, is like 
nothing that we have ever experienced before as a nation, as a people in this world. And it's shared. It doesn't matter whether you're poor, or whether you're rich, whether you're American, whether you're from the United Kingdom, whether you're from Africa. It doesn't mm. matter. It doesn't matter your color, your religion. It doesn't yeah. matter how wealthy you are, <clears throat> how rich you are. It cuts across all boards and it's a shared suffering and a shared tragedy that the entire human race yeah. is feeling. How we treat COVID here in Malaysia is the same as how they treat COVID in the United States and the UK. Mm -hmm. It's the same mm -hmm. everywhere. Treatment options are, are limited. Mm -hmm. You see? So, it's, it's evolving. Um, it, it's evolving yes. all the time, isn't it? The, the, the whole yes. situation keeps yeah. to be changed. There are U-turns and, you know, so how do you, as an expert specialist coming to work, when today you may be faced with and fed with some information, tomorrow it might be changed. I mean, how do you prime yourself up to face this enemy? It's an invisible enemy, Tim. Yeah, the virus is malevolent, you know, malevolent. Mm -hmm. It changes, it mutates, uh, it tries to escape our immune system. And as you know, now there are variants that are more uh, resistant to the vaccines that we have, uh, variants right. uh, that are coming, variants of the viruses that can come and infect people who have already been infected by COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So right. this is a very wily virus. And I tell you what I see, what we think we know today, in a few months time, it will change. Uh, but thankfully, one thing good is we have a lot of scientists now. Our technology is good. It is a battle between us humans and the virus. We do know a lot of what we didn't know about the virus one year ago, but even that is not enough. So because science is always uh, the quest for knowledge, knowledge is never static. So it's never static, isn't it? Uh, knowledge is never static. Yeah. So we are always bombarded with information about COVID from the internet, from WhatsApp, from Facebook, from everything, yeah, from scientists. And even among the scientists, they don't agree with each other. So understandably, people are, can be confused. As you say, Charles, at the end of the day, it's the bottom line, isn't it? How many people are dying of yeah. the virus? We can Correct. say whatever yeah, we say, you know, we can say whatever. The bottom line is how many people are becoming ill and there are people dying of this virus. And then we need to keep our eye on what is important and on the ball on how we can uh, right. avoid ourselves from getting this infection and how we can treat it. I tell you, Tim, uh, we are actually so blessed and fortunate that we have you right here in Glen Eagles with us. <clears throat> Coming to the fact about vaccines, I remember months and months ago before we had even the vaccines at our table. You know, we were all wondering when is it going to come? And finally, when it arrived, we are now given choices to choose, which is even uh, ironical because I'm uh, at an age where any vaccine will be good enough for me because of the severity of the disease, as you just rightly pointed out, because death is the end game, you know, and uh, this is an invisible enemy. So right now, one of the questions here is that, do I get to choose my vaccine? Why is it that some are percentage is 70, some are 80, some are 90. How does that affect the lay person? Or we just queue up and just take any vaccine that is available to us? Just give us your feel about that, Tim. Okay. Now, Charles, I totally agree with your statement. Now, any vaccine is better than no vaccine. So I would advise everyone, the vaccine that had been approved by the WHO, right. please take the vaccine as soon as possible, especially if you're in a high-risk group. So any vaccine is good. Now, yeah. the question is, which vaccine is better? Actually, to be honest, none of us know which vaccine is right. better. We right. can only compare vaccines when we do head-to-head -head 
studies. That means you compare vaccine A and vaccine B in how they reduce the risk of a person getting COVID or reduce the hospitalizations and death. So far, no studies have that been done where these vaccines are compared side by side. All the vaccines are compared. Is the vaccine compared to another group without the vaccine? So uh, there's a lot of debate on which vaccine is better. And a lot of it is uh, also influenced by our own uh, biasness. Some people sure. prefer the China vaccine. Some people prefer the Pfizer vaccine because it sounds nice. But the fact of the matter is every vaccine is good. My advice to you is to take whichever vaccine that is available, the soonest, the better. You cannot postpone your vaccination because you want another vaccine. We do not have that luxury. And it's the same in many, many countries. In the UK, for instance, they're not given, a, many of them are not uh, given a choice. They're just given the, the Oxford vaccine and they have no choice. And when you are faced with a disease like that that's affecting millions and vaccines are short in supply, the government having a program where people choose their vaccines is not going to be easy. And we are aiming sure. to vaccinate people as fast as possible. So right. please take any vaccine as soon as possible. Do not wait. You know, Tim, coming back to our table talk, you mentioned this particular patient <laughs> who was 60 odd years old and uh, you had your finger on his pulse and you saw him, you know, deteriorating. Tell me, as we move forward, the science and the knowledge, what was the age of your youngest patient? Because we now know that COVID is now affecting younger and younger patients. So the question is, um, what was the youngest? I believe the infection yeah. can be quite severe too, right? Yes. Now with the new Delta variant, it seems, uh, although it still needs to be confirmed, Younger patients are getting severe COVID. Now, the youngest patient that I treated was 32 years old, just recently 30, treated, 32 years old and mm -hmm. very young. And he came in with stage four, almost going to stage five COVID. And his oxygen levels were very, very low. He had to be treated in the ICU for one week. His wife also had COVID. And he had to be treated alone and with the experiences that I described requiring high doses of oxygen and he had to put himself in a prone position where you sleep on your tummy. For one week, right. he's, uh, he was very, very ill, but thankfully, he slowly mm. improved. But this mm. patient, without the treatment in the ICU, he would probably have died, you know. He was very close to death, and he's very, very fortunate. So just because a person is young, it doesn't mean that you will not get severe COVID. Um, right. There are people who are even younger, even doctors who have died who are younger than that. You know, recently in Labuan, there was a nurse who died uh, because of COVID. Mm. The problem with cell monitoring and home monitoring is you feel well despite your oxygen levels being very low. So that is the problem. Right. And, and these are the challenges that our country is having. We don't have enough beds, Charles. And if you look at the data, there are 900 over people in ICU, you know. It's terrible. It's horrible. Mm. And drastic measures that the government has to take to stem the infection, to stem the spread of this infection. Otherwise, right. there'll be a total breakdown, eh, Charles. We haven't experienced a total breakdown in our healthcare system, and that will be a disaster. So yeah, young people, I mean, yes. You know, when you talk about <clears throat> young people, I mean, even in my own home, all my three children are between the ages of 25 to 35. And if I were to flip <clears throat> the coin around and bring this statement to you, or this argument or this aspect of it, we also note that the younger adults, the younger age group are also low risk compared to the, you know, the ones who are my age. So if I'm 25 years old and if I am having a low risk, why should I take the vaccine? 
and yet you give a picture of the severity of the disease, even at a 32-year-old individual. So how does one balance this equation? If I am one of those group of people who are, you know, 25, 28 years old, look, I'm a low-risk guy. Why do I need to take the vaccine? How would you address that situation, Tim? Well, low-risk doesn't mean no risk, you know. Right. Low-risk doesn't mean Absolutely. no risk, isn't it? The risk of severe infection doesn't only depend on a person's age. It also depends on right. other comorbidities, you see. One of them is if a person is obese and he's 25 years old, he has a high risk of getting severe COVID. A 25-year-old may also be pregnant and that also increases the risk of severe COVID. 25-year-old may also have bronchial asthma and uh, other uh, diseases that also affect uh, young people. And also don't forget, uh, the severity of the disease also depends on the virus. You may have a more virulent in the future, you know, one of the more virulent variants that can affect uh, younger people. And the severity of, of the disease also depends on the inoculum, the amount of virus that a person inhales. So if a young person inhales or there's a high load of viruses entering him, there is also a high risk of this person getting severe COVID. So that's one, you know, for the person himself. The other thing is, yes, uh, the, the fact that young people may not show many symptoms or may have mild symptoms also makes them easier for them to spread the virus to their parents, to people right. who are older than them. So while it may be safe for you, when you go back, you give the virus to your parents, your mother and your father, or your grandfather, and they may die because of the virus. Many of the people were in the recent Hari Raya, many of people got the, the infections from the children who were returning. So imagine you are getting this virus, you go home and you give the virus to your parents. So how does vaccination help? Vaccination helps by reducing your risk of infection. So in turn, when it reduces your risk of getting infected, indirectly it also reduces the risk of you spreading the virus. There have been studies, though not conclusive enough, that a person who is vaccinated, let's say you're vaccinated and you still get the infection, the chance of you spreading the virus is there, but it's lower compared to if you're not vaccinated. So these are the two reasons. Huh? One is it reduces the risk of you getting severe COVID, it reduces the risk of you dying. And the other one is it reduces the risk of you spreading the virus to other people who may have right. been in high risk, who may die, Charles. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Sure. And this is See. the dilemma because we're all living in this state now. Like I told you when I introduced the whole session about the time when we all dived into that trench, it was a, a kind of a lockdown even at that time 40 years ago in the army. So today we are all faced with these do's and don'ts, you know. I just went for my usual weekend walk for three hours and I was looking behind my shoulder wondering if I will have a summons and will have to pay some fines and all that. So when you talk about do's and don'ts, and I'm still concerned about the younger age group, why should I wear a mask? I mean, if I'm a low risk. So in fact, coming back to the mailbag, Tim, I've had my vaccination. I've had my two <clears throat> doses. Do I still need to wear a mask? And can I still get COVID infected? Okay. First of all, Charles, I have to state that all of us are really have COVID fatigue, right? Yeah, COVID fatigue absolutely. here, day and night, morning. And it's difficult on all of us, more so for others, especially the young people and the children, especially. They can't go out. I mean, when was the last time you saw someone smile when you went absolutely. out, when you went to work? I was just going to mention, huh? yeah. That's right. You know, you know that, that affects us psychologically. You go, you don't see people smile, you don't see their expressions. It's like going and meeting strangers. And it is not easy. Now, we have to admit, it's not easy. Now, 
when we started wearing masks, we didn't realize that we would be required to wear masks for more than a year, isn't it? Even as a doctor, wearing a mask at work is not easy. Much less the public wearing masks every day when they go out, when they go to the shop, you know, when they go anywhere. Now, wearing a mask is essential. It is very, very important because it prevents you a person from spreading the virus and also reduces the risk of them getting the virus. It is very necessary for people to wear masks whenever they are in public places and especially so when they cannot social distance in buildings when they are closed. I have to admit, it is not easy for all of you all eh, in August to wear, to wear a mask. But it's something like, Charles, you mentioned, we are at war now, you know, and in war, we have to accept there will be difficulties, there will be inconveniences there will be sacrifices that are being made. So we have to sacrifice yeah. our personal liberties this time. It's not easy. It's not easy. On the other hand, Charles, we also have people who are overly judgmental. You know, yes. there are yes. also some we people overly know. judgmental. I call them virtue signalers. You know, <laughs> you know, you don't yeah, wear a mask, you're a bad fella. You know, let's say you're alone, you're jogging. You don't have to wear a mask when there's no one around. If you're on the beach, right. you're walking, you don't need to wear a mask. Right. But what's most important is you remember to wear the mask when you should, you see. Yes. I do see people walking in the beach wearing a mask, walking alone. This is not necessary. The problem is, why is it that the government has a blanket mask? You can't expect common sense from people sometimes, you know. There are right. two groups of people. One is they insist on you wearing a mask everywhere. And then there's another group of anti-mask people who will say, I'm not going to wear a mask under any circumstance. So right. we, we have to be reasonable, uh, you know. Yes. We have to be reasonable yes. and encourage one another. And it's not easy to get a mask also, Charles, you know. I mean, for yeah. us, people who can afford it, you can buy a mask anytime. What about people who can't buy a mask? It's not that you can get it anywhere, yeah. you see. We have to wear a mask here. Yeah. And talking about wearing mask now we are told to wear two yeah the question is now yes, that you have been right. vaccinated i've been already vaccinated why should i wear a mask okay now if you are vaccinated the chance like i said the chance of you getting the virus and spreading is much less that's very good the mask actually gives added protection. So right. the question is, why should we wear a mask when we are vaccinated? The need for the mask after you are vaccinated is of course less, but I would argue that it's still necessary as of this moment because of the new variants and also right. because we are not really certain on how our immune system will react to these new variants despite being vaccinated. We right. do know that uh, there are some vaccines that have already been tested on the new variants which shows that they are effective but they are less effective compared to the original COVID-19 variants. So the fear is that if we are not careful, we will be in a situation again where the vaccines are ineffective. You have variants that can sort of fight against the vaccine and there will be another spread, another surge. And I think all of you agree, we cannot tolerate these lockdowns, repeated lockdowns, right? We cannot tolerate repeated lockdowns. There has to be a solution. And if that solution is vaccination and wearing a mask, I think it's a small sacrifice compared to being locked down in your house, not being being able to work more sacrifice compared to being in a hospital and dying even though it may not make sense right there are not many things that make sense huh? even though yeah. it may not make sense 
uh, as Anthony Fauci and many people have said, just let's just be patient. You know, even if we don't understand, even if we don't agree, let us try and fight this battle together. You know? Yes, yes. And I know coming from you, this is point of the <coughs> right time for us to listen to this message because, I mean, all said and done, it's it's a difficult time for all of us. And uh, when we talked about all that we were going through and the frontliners and, you know, and you yourself and you've seen the amount of heaviness of heart that uh, medical workers go through. One of the questions was brought in just now from the mailbag. How can an individual support the medical field, the medical people out there, the frontliners? How can they support and be of help to these people? First of all, try not to get the virus. La. Try not to get infected and spread. Mm. If you really think about it, there's only a limit uh, what the government can do to avoid a person from getting COVID. You see, mm. the individual and the community have to play a role in trying to prevent getting infected and spreading. To the question, how can you help the frontliners? You can help by not lines, getting the COVID. Workers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can help by not getting COVID, by trying your best to stick to the standard operating procedures to prevent yourself from getting COVID and also spreading. You notice, uh, Charles, uh, many of the cases have come from clusters. Clusters, mm. uh, I can understand uh, workplace clusters, they may not be, have been avoidable because people need to work to earn a living. But a lot of the clusters have come from gatherings, you know, religious gatherings, uh, celebrations, wedding. And recently, the Kaamatan, and this creates clusters and more and more patients have come in. And this creates mm. more stress on the healthcare system and in the front line. So mm. you can help the frontliners by doing this. Now, on an individual level, you know, I volunteered to work in Queen Elizabeth for three months. Mm. What I found very encouraging was the public used to send uh, food and pack food for the, the staff to eat. Not that they didn't have food, but the thought... The thought that they cared for the, the frontline workers actually helped a lot. And if, right. if you're in the public, you can also help by uh, encouraging the frontline workers and their families as well. Just giving, saying a word of thank you to them for the sacrifice that they are making Absolutely. to Absolutely. serve our country. That will just be enough. It is quite sad sometimes when you hear people, the frontliners bang the brunt of the public's frustrations with the government. Yeah. So they are, they're frustrated with the government, they take it out on the frontliners. The frontliners yeah. are working day and night, screening patients, mm. vaccinating patients, treating patients, yes, taking so care. Yeah. And, and when the public mm. and when people say you're not doing enough, it hurts them, you know. It hurts them. I mean, there, there's a role for politics, I suppose. You can criticize yeah, the sure. government and politicians. But uh, let's not criticize the Ministry of Health. And people are really actually trying their best. In yeah, this sure. situation, it's impossible, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the correlation of, uh, as I said, the battlefield, it's a war. And in a war, the yes. nation goes to war. So you can't have the frontliner, the guy that's carrying his rifle in the front be blamed. <coughs> if he gets shot down, you see. So it's... It's, it's a collective ideology of winning uh, that's going to get us through, isn't it? But again, I've got a number of questions that are coming from the younger people. And that is, um, Dr. Timothy, I'm 28 years old and I'm lining up and hope to get my vaccination soon. What is the long-term effect of this vaccine on me? Five years, 10 years, do we know? And am I ready to face it in the next 10 years what this vaccine might do to me? How would you navigate through this uh, question Tim and help them understand that okay. at this such a time as this we have to be ready to take it yeah I think I can understand because there's a lot of news out there on uh, the long-term effects of uh, the vaccine 
First of all, the long-term effects of any drug or any uh, intervention for that matter is not easy to determine. You know, for instance, if a person gets cancer, a person gets an autoimmune disease, we do, there, there are many, many, many factors that may have influenced or given predisposed a person to get a certain disease. So right. now, what is the long-term effect of the vaccine? It means to say, what will happen in five years or 10 years from now from the person with the vaccine? We actually don't know because our studies have only done been done for three to four months and now we have about one year of data. So all I can say is in the one year period, very, very few side effects have occurred in people who are vaccinated. But one thing you want to keep in mind in terms of medicine uh, in vaccines, if a person doesn't develop a side effect within three months, they're very, very unlikely to develop a side effect after three months, generally speaking speaking. So if you have an adverse reaction to any drug or whatever, it usually occurs within three months. Okay, It usually occurs. So if within three months it doesn't occur, it's probably not going to occur. And now in the beginning when the vaccines came out, we didn't have much data, but now we have more data. We have roughly about seven, eight months of the usage of the vaccine. And so far, the risk of developing an adverse uh, event is very, very low. It is not yeah. zero, uh, Charles, but it's yeah. very, very low. I think uh, people may want some figures, right? Uh, if you get a vaccine, what is the chance of you getting a severe allergic reaction? Uh, severe allergic reaction, a life-threatening allergic reaction. The chance of it is seven in a million, okay? Seven, seven. in a million, yes. On the other hand, if a person gets COVID, generally across all ages, the chance of dying can range from 4 in 1,000, 0.4%. In some cases, 1 out of 100 chance of dying of the disease. So you have to compare the risk of the vaccine and the risk of dying when you get COVID. So that's what a young people need to know. I believe strongly in uh, individual autonomy of choice. And that is uh, one of the hallmarks uh, of medicine. A medical ethics that yeah. each individual is autonomous, uh, has autonomy and has the right to make their own decision after being told on what the risk and the benefit is. So the government cannot force a person to take a vaccine and neither would I. I won't force someone to take a vaccine, but I'll explain the risk and the benefit and people have to take responsibility for their own decisions. So 28-year-old man, you wait, this is what I told you the risk is seven in a million and I've told you the risk of a person dying of COVID. And now having weighed this risk, you decide whether you want the vaccine or not. I'm not going to force you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a point well taken. Now, talking about, I mean, talking about side effects, I always <coughs> tell everyone that everything that you take today, every, whether it's a tablet, I mean, in my, in my uh, field of plastic surgery, aging itself is a side effect of living. You know, you can't run away from that side effect. So no matter what it is, uh, we should go out there, get ourselves vaccinated. And when we talk about the whole country and all that, tell, tell us something about this herd immunity, because there's some of them who are just waiting for everybody else to get vaccinated so that they can be covered, you see. Are we heading towards that direction? We are hoping, we hope that we can reach herd immunity. Now, what percentage of the population needs to be vaccinated or immunized or infected, have some, some form of immune system before you get herd immunity. We are not really sure. It can range from 60 to 80% before a person mm -hmm. gets herd immunity. So I, I think to the audience, many, many people may not know what herd immunity means. Huh? Herd immunity yeah. is actually a situation where people who are not vaccinated, who are not immunized, are protected by people who are immunized. So when we say 
uh, 80% needed, needed for herd immunity, it means that this 80% who are vaccinated, it will be enough to reduce or prevent the 20% who are not vaccinated or not infected from getting the virus. Why is herd immunity important? It's because not everyone can get a vaccine, you know. Mm. It's not possible for everyone to get a vaccine, even if they wanted to. And there are certain proportions of certain uh, groups of people who may not be able to be vaccinated. They may have severe allergic reactions, they may be very immune suppressed, they may take immune suppressive drugs, and they may not mount an immune response. So herd immunity is important for people who can't be vaccinated. So coming back to your question, Charles, can we achieve herd immunity? Of course, we have achieved herd immunity in many other diseases. We have achieved herd immunity in measles, uh, in these uh, measles, smallpox. So it has happened before, but it has taken time. It's not something that uh, this is herd immunity was achieved in one year. So it's not easy for us to achieve herd immunity in one year. Mm. Uh, we hope that it can be achieved as soon as possible. But right. still, uh, the jury is out there, uh, Charles. The vaccine is yeah. uh, a moving target. It uh, mutates, you know. See? And we just have to be uh, on the front line of all that's happening and make use yes, of medical yes. science. And uh, so coming back from the mailbag to our table talk <coughs> as we wind up this session, um, what's your take home message as we leave and we've just had lunch together, we've just had this table talk session. What would be your take home message as the expert right out there in, the, in this particular field that is your bread and butter kind of work? What's your take home message to all of us who are listening in, Tim? Where do we go from here? Okay, um, the take-home message is not only for you, but also for me, lah, you know. Yes. Uh, this situation will not last forever. It will end. Mm -hmm. COVID-19 will not last forever. The virus will always be with us, but we will beat it. We will beat right. this disease. We will have to live with it, learn to live with this virus, and at the same time, protect ourselves from getting infected and spreading this virus. So let us all, uh, my take-home message is let us all together as one human race and in our country consider each ourselves as our brothers and sisters protect each other from getting this mm -hmm. virus we cannot fight this virus alone we cannot fight this war alone we all have to work together mm -hmm. as one people in one nation in malaysia malaysia now we are we are one of the countries that are worst affected by covid you know Worse affected, but we can beat it if we stay united. But when you say worse infected, why so? I don't know, Charles. I don't know the reason why. Every country had difficult times. There was a time where the United States was the worst affected. Uh, mm. Then there was, there was a time where UK was the worst affected. There was a time China was the worst affected. One month ago, India was the worst affected. So, so it's not necessarily because of something that we did wrong. It just, right. that's the situation that it happens, yes. right? But we had to deal with what we have, and now we are facing a, a difficult situation, pretending that it's not, it's not going yeah. to help. Let's recognize that we are facing a crisis in our country, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. and face it and defeat this together. Yes, well said, well said, Tim. Yeah. And uh, such such a joy to have you answer some of these questions and uh, help Thanks, us Charles. feel strong because uh, we can only get better. We can only get stronger. We can only get wiser uh, as we, you know, I was just telling my nurse this morning, my staff, I said, I haven't seen your face for two weeks now, you know. 
<laughs> and uh, so she put it down and I said, okay, you're still my stop. And she put it back on. So hopefully, hopefully we will come to a time where we can smile again. Uh, we can yes. recognize each other's faces. Um, we can start loving again in an environment that is uh, conducive and warm. And uh, we can continue to have table talk discussions on other topics other than this. So once again, Tim, I want to say thank you very much for your work, uh, for, for what you are doing for all of us. Uh, I know that uh, you are my personal physician and you are helping me to stay alive. And so I'm <laughs> grateful to God for that. Tim is on our watch list group of uh, doctors. And uh, the moment he sends us something, everybody is a red alert, you know. And uh, so we just want to thank you, Tim. Uh, follow us on our Instagram, Dr. Charles Lee Podcast. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can follow us on YouTube. We have a channel out on YouTube, Dr. Charles Lee, the Heart Talk Podcast. We just want to talk about the heart to heart conversations that matter to you and me. So once again, from all of us, let's talk again. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Tim. Well done.